This morning we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Amazing change. Amazing change. In 1 John uh, chapter 3, we learn of the family relationships we have in Jesus Christ. We have true joy because we are part of God's family. Sometimes we try to have true joy because of trying to work hard to keep the relationship. We know that salvation's by grace, but then we begin thinking maybe there's some work that needs to go into this. And John in chapter 3 focuses on three things. He focuses on our past, which we looked at last week. He focuses on our future, and then he focuses on our present. But focusing on these three is really important, and the sequence in which he gives these to us one of the distractions of Satan is to get us to forget who we are. What is a Christian? A Christian is a child of God. You know, there is strength in recognizing who we are. Often I believe we fail to live our Christian life because we fail to remember who we are. Every appeal to right living always begins in terms of our position, our family-ship. The New Testament doesn't tell people you need to change your life so that you can get saved. The New Testament points to the fact that all of us are sinners. And because we are sinners, therefore, we are separated from God. Often, in fact, I've talked with some just recently, they've said, you know, the thing that really stood out to me was the fact that I didn't want to go to hell. And that's, that's a worthy reason for not, uh, for getting saved. But we forget to connect the dots. Why is hell, hell? You say, well, it's, it's a lake of fire, it's eternal torment, it's eternal punishment, and you are absolutely right on every one of those things, but what makes hell, hell? the absence of every speck of good. And the reason why there is a hell is because God is holy and everything that makes heaven heaven comes from God's character. And God can't tolerate sin. Therefore, God doesn't tell you, clean up your life because you are by nature a sinner. Therefore, God did for you what you could not do for yourself. Therefore, as we focus on why would I want to be saved? Absolutely, you don't want to go to an awful place called hell. You want to go to a wonderful place called heaven. But the reason why heaven is a wonderful place, the reason why what is coming is so wonderful is because of who God is. Everything is based on God's character. So the New Testament really has nothing to tell an unsaved person except that they are separated from God because of sin. But as we recognize that we are believers, when we are Christians, now there's comfort. There's comfort to God's children. If we really want to reap the benefits that God has for us, it then leads us to a different kind of living. Not because we have to, because we're going to lose our salvation if we don't somehow make ourselves do these things. But the reality is, 
Because we are God's children and because we know what our Heavenly Father is like and we know that everything he does is good, therefore, when he tells us things, we know that's the best path. Not because you have to, but because there isn't a better way. Last week we looked at the fact, don't be upset that the world looks down on you and they don't recognize what you have. Look at what God has done. God, when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, he places his nature in us. It changes who we are. And therefore, when we come now to what it's going to be like in the future, we have the opportunity to see what this little child is going to look like. Changing into his image. Amazing change. Let's pray together. Our Father, we pray this morning that you would just open our hearts. I pray that Satan would be defeated I pray that we would stay focused. There are always things that can distract us, and we pray that today would be a day where we would just see Jesus. We would see the truth of your word. I do pray for some who've never received Jesus Christ as their Savior. I pray that today would be the day that they would see your goodness, that it wouldn't just be an emotional decision. It would be a decision that they understand and that they would choose, that they would have a change of mind about sin and especially about who you are. Please help me today as I preach. I pray that you would open our eyes. Help me to be a clear vessel, an understandable servant. I ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I don't know about you, but I often feel as if I ought to wear a button that looks like this. I am not what I will be. Sometimes we are looking at our lives and we're disappointed with where we are at this point. But 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 tells us this personal disclaimer, I am not what I will be. You know, I get tired of this old body. I get tired of the things that I know are right, and yet I don't do them. I get tired of the things that I know are wrong, and I still go ahead and do that. You ever had that happen to you? Where all of a sudden, I mean, our moms and our dads tell us, don't do this. And we do it anyway. The police officer says, don't do this. And we do it anyway. I'm weary of this body, but I have joy today because as I look at what's here, I recognize there is an amazing change that's going to take place. Now let's look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Let's look at three things that John wants us to notice in this verse. They're pretty clearly just marked out. And first of all, he says, 
Beloved, now are we the sons of God. What I want you to notice is we are currently the children of God. You know, we are not waiting for Christ's return for this to happen. It has already happened. There is never going to be a time in history when you are more a child of God than you are right now. Let that settle in for a moment. You will never be more in God's family than you are right now as God's child. We are currently God's children. Secondly, I want you to notice conduct does not determine familyship. Conduct does not determine familyship. We'll talk about the aspect that many of us right now are thinking of and maybe wrestling with in your minds, Lord willing, next week as we look at verse 3. But John is intentionally building these thoughts for you. First of all, he talks about something that took place in the past. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath given, bestowed into us, that we should be called the family of God. God did something for you today. As a believer, you are a different person. And now he goes to, he says, I want you to see something for the future. He said, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Do you know when the prodigal son rebelled and walked away from God, from his father, he was no less of a son than the son that stayed at home with the father, right? We studied that this past week on Wednesday night. What did the father call the prodigal son? He said, it is my son. Now we were separated. My son which was dead is now alive. Now obviously the son was not dead, but what had happened? They had lost this intimate relationship. They had lost the time together. And the thing that could never be given back to the prodigal son was he had lost that beautiful time with his family. But he never lost his sonship. Oh, he suffered consequences. He made bad choices, and those bad choices brought consequences into his life. But he never lost his sonship. And John is teaching this principle. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Conduct does not determine familyship. Once you are a child, you can never not be a child. Once the DNA is put in you, you will always have that DNA. You can live in a different location. And you know what? Those, those characteristics are still going to become visible as they grow up. This is so encouraging for us because, you see, conduct does not determine familyship. The question I would ask you this morning is, are you a child of God? Coming to church doesn't make you a child of God. You've heard the illustration, but it always is humorous to me, you know. Coming to church doesn't make you any more like a Christian than standing in the garage makes you a car, right? No, you're still a person. Coming to church doesn't make you, a, doesn't make you in the family of God. We know that the only way you can have fellowship with God we know that the only way you can be, you can be walking in the light, you can change the king, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, is through the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ and receiving that gift. 
Something else that's important for us to recognize is we have a special relationship. We have a dynamic relationship, a living relationship with God. How do you know that you're in the family? Well, there are a number of ways that you're, you can tell that you're in the family. You may not be able to see all of these all at one time. You know, we're aware of a new life within us. Sometimes someone else will even see it. And we say, well, I didn't really notice it. And someone, oh, you're really different. In Galatians 2.20, the Apostle Paul talks about, well, this is me, but it's not really me. It's Christ that lives in me. Not only do we become aware of a new life in us, but also we become aware of, we become very sensitive to sin that is in us. It's not that we don't sin. In fact, we become very concerned about the sin that we see in our own lives. When in reality, an unsaved person doesn't care. Now, they don't like the consequences of it, but they're dead to it. That's not a big deal for them. Therefore, as you, as you look at this, you begin realizing, oh, maybe we become aware of this new life. Maybe we become more aware of the sin that's in our life. The Apostle Paul said, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. He went on to say, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? You see, all of a sudden you begin to be more sensitive to the awfulness of sin. It could be that one of the things that you'll notice is there is this desire for God and for what he desires. It may be a desire to be with other believers. There are numbers of things that reveal to us that we're in the family. You see, the life God gave us is not static. It's dynamic. I love to visit aircraft museums. I love aircraft. I love to watch aircraft. I love to be in aircraft. It's just been a passion since I was little. But one of the things that I kind of have a harder time with are static displays. You know, those things that just sit there. And they can, you can imagine all the really cool things that that plane could do, but it'll never do it again. As Cindy and I were driving back from Rochester, we drove by an airport, and they had these beautiful... Air Force um, Thunderbirds. They're on a static display. They have these pipes that are shoved into them, and they look like they're in this um, formation, and they're gonna, they're gonna, looks like they're going up, and they're gonna all spread out. I've got a secret for you. Those planes will never fly again. Like, never. There's nothing inside them. They just look like an airplane. You go to museums and you've got these static displays. The ones that really pique my curiosity are the ones that could still fly. Whether it's the Blackbird, whether it's any of these, if you've been to um, any of the various museums, they're fascinating. Why? Because they still have this dynamic part to them. Our relationship with God is a dynamic relationship, one that is continually changing every day. You know, a child grows and develops and matures 
and becomes like the one whose DNA he has. That's why in verse 1, he talks about what was bestowed, what was placed in you as a believer. And I, re I rehearse that with you because that's so important today. Some of you maybe are discouraged. Maybe you're thinking, oh, I can't ever change. Maybe some of you are saying, you just don't understand. What I want you today to understand is when you got saved, God placed in you part of him. Therefore, you can and you will see these changes coming. And here's the thing in verse 2 that he wants you to notice. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, but it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Now he focuses on something else. You see, the future is not yet open for display. The future is not yet open for display. In fact, the, the fact that we are now God's children will not change. But what we will be, what we shall be, is still behind the curtain. Un unveiling ceremonies can be kind of fun. We don't look at horror at something that has yet been to be unveiled. We kind of look forward with anticipation. What's behind the curtain? You know, they've done that for years on Price is Right. You know, what's behind the curtain? What's in the box? We look forward to what's coming, but we know there is something very important that is coming. The world doesn't see it yet, but they will. We're currently in a body that doesn't match our glorified spirit. We're currently in a body that does not match the sanctification that is taking place, our being set apart. We're not in a body like that yet. But we will. In Romans 8, 29, we read, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. I'm going to pause for just a moment, and I, I want to talk about an important doctrine that will help us stay focused. First of all, people get confused with foreknowledge, predestination, and election. And they get confused and they begin to think that it really doesn't matter because God knows and has already chosen who people are going to, which people are going to get saved, which really has an ugly connotation because God already knows who he has predestined to go to hell. And we struggle with that and we say, there are some that are the elect. Some that aren't the elect. And could I just take a moment, and I'm just going to give you a brief explanation. Foreknowledge is an attribute of God. Predestination and election are actions of God. It's important we keep those separate. Foreknowledge is an attribute. Predestination and election are acts of God. Only God knows the future. God is omniscient. If God wasn't omniscient, he couldn't be God, could he? Therefore, does God know who's going to be saved? Absolutely he knows. He wouldn't be God if he didn't. You remember when David was asking, if I, if I go here, will the enemy be there? Would they, would they defeat me? 
And God said yes. And he said, okay, then I'm going to go over here. God already knew if David did something, what was going to take place. And David didn't do it. But God already knew what would have taken place if he had done it. Isn't that cool? You know, God knows not only what's going to take place, God knows what would have taken place had you chosen something different. I know, my mind just shorted out somewhere in the middle of that. But what I want you to recognize is this. God couldn't be God if he didn't know all things. So, foreknowledge is an attribute of God. Now, Foreknowledge simply means to possess knowledge of things to be. Predestination and election are totally different. They're acts of God. Predestination is never for the lost man. Always look at the context. Predestination is for saved people. When we read our Bibles and read the context of predestination, it's clearly we understand that salvation is a personal matter that we choose, and God says, whosoever will may come. Predestination is God, knowing who is going to be saved, has predestined certain blessings for those people, that they will be conformed to the image of his Son, that they will be unto the adoption of children according to the purpose of him. You see, God has a plan for every one of us that are saved. That's an action of God. He has predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son because he put within you the DNA to do that. We don't really have time to work at election much this morning, but let me just mention this. Election is interchangeably used with the word chosen or chose in the Old Testament where the word is simply chosen. And again, God didn't predestine people to be lost or saved. The aspect of election has to do with service. He has chosen certain ones to do certain things. If you read Romans chapter 9, you will see God chose that the older would serve the younger. He didn't predestine one to hell and one to heaven. He predestined that one would be in a rulership position and one would be in a servanthood position. You see, God elects every one of us to service. And again, if you read that, you recognize it's God's plan. It has nothing to do with salvation. Now, with that in mind, let's just go on. I wanted to make sure, as I read that verse, that we didn't all of a sudden our mind go into strange doctrine that didn't match what God's Word said. So we look at this amazing change that's coming, and I want you to notice that the future is based on the promises of God. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. You see, the future is based on the promises of God. The promises of God are based on God's character, and the character of God cannot change. Therefore, when God says, it doth not yet appear what we shall be, what, a, what, a, what is the confidence that we can have? Though the curtain has not been pulled back, though we don't see what that's going to be, we don't fear it because the promise of God is 
we shall be like him. And the promise of God is rooted, is securely founded on God's character. And what do we know about God's character? God is holy. If God is holy, then God can do no wrong. And God said this is going to take place, which means God cannot lie. You see, this is confidence rather than being insecure. What we are now is a guarantee of what we will be. You see, our familyship guarantees our glorification. God never starts a work that he does not complete. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a third thing here in this text that I want us to notice, and that is we know some things about the glory that's to come. First of all, we shall be like him. This is the doctrine of the resurrection of our body, the glorification of God's people. This is an amazing change that's going to take place. His appearing is a fact, and it's going to be ushered in by three events. Christ's appearing is a fact, and notice here some things. First of all, the return of Jesus Christ. Though we do not know when it will be, we know for certain it will happen. It is a fact. The second thing that I want you to notice is that sin will be judged. Sin will be judged, and all that is sinful and evil will be consigned, and I, I want to use a term that I, I hope it doesn't throw you off, all sin must be quarantined forever in a place called hell, a place where there's no escape, a place where there's no change. It's always going to be what it is. Why? Because God is holy, and heaven is going to be holy, and heaven's going to be perfect, and heaven's going to be a joyful place, and any sin, any poison that would come in would ruin heaven. And God, in his kindness and in his grace, made a place to send Satan and the fallen angels forever so that they could never damage or taint or destroy God's perfectness again. But because we've sinned, we must either accept what God has provided for us or we will have to be quarantined in this awful place called hell for all eternity. We get a choice. We get to choose. Do I understand what's taken place? Do I understand why sin is so awful in the eyes of a holy God? What Do I understand not only in the eyes of a holy God, do I understand why sin is so awful even for me today because whatever sin touches, it destroys. So there is this wonderful thing that God has done. What manner of love, what kind of love would the Father infuse into us that we would be called the children of God? And it doesn't yet appear what we shall be. You're not seeing what I'm going to be like. Aren't you happy? I'm going to be different. 
I'm going to be new. I'm going to get a body that matches my spirit. Glorified. Changed. There's one more thing that he tells us about, that we know about, and that is there's going to be a renovation and restoration here on earth. The earth will be renovated and, and renewed. It will be a new earth. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses, verse 13, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth where dwelleth righteousness. You see what's going to fill this earth? The whole earth will be filled with God's goodness. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. There is going to be a total purifying of this earth. I believe what he's teaching us is, God is going to totally purify this earth and he will make it all new again. Rather than the earth totally being destroyed and God speaking something out of nothing again. Because if that were the case, then Satan won. Satan at least got to destroy something of God's. And God says, nah, I will totally reverse all that Satan has done. Satan didn't win anything. He didn't win my spirit God redeemed me. I am justified. He didn't win my mind, my soul. I am being sanctified. And he didn't win with my body. I am going to be glorified. And as he's teaching this, he's telling us something. So often we feel the screws being put down on us. You've got to do a certain thing. You've got to live a certain way. But before John addresses how we live, he reminds us of what happened and who we are. And he reminds us of what is yet to come. Amazing change. You see, the Holy Spirit is working in our lives right now to help us grow and mature and develop. It's important that we remember what we are so that we can remember what we will be. We have the most amazing future. And what you see here is the great star of Africa. Late in the afternoon on July 2nd, 1905, at a diamond mine in South Africa, a mine worker alerted the surface manager, a guy named Fred Wells, that he had seen kind of a bright, shiny object that caught his attention up on the side of a wall. Fred carefully inched his way to the spot, used his pocket knife to pry out the colossal stone. Fred was kind of a low-key guy. And Fred's comment was, talking about the mine's principal owner, his name was Colonel Thomas Cullen. He said, Thomas Cullen will be pleased when he sees this. Wells hurried to the office and took the stone and showed it to the people in the office. And they said, that's not a diamond. And they took it and threw it out the window. Wells went outside, picked it back up again, brought it back inside again. It was eventually authenticated. 
and it weighed more than one and a third pounds. It is three times larger than any other known diamond found. Didn't look real pretty. Didn't look like this when he pulled it out of the ground. Do you know two of the largest faceted diamonds in the world came from this one stone? The men looked at it for a very long time before they even decided to cut it. And when they tried to cut this stone, after I believe it was a month or two months of just studying the stone, when they tried to cut it, it actually broke the chisel and they had to get another chisel before they could actually cut the stone. But once that stone was cut and once the facets were put into it, it's an incredibly beautiful diamond. You know, we often struggle with what God is doing in our lives. God, why are you doing what you're doing? Because, beloved, now we are the sons of God. You are the children of God. Your Father loves you so much, there is never a day that He takes His eye off of any one of us because, you see, He's omnipresent. He sees what's going on. He knows what's going on. We have a secure future. You know, as amazing as grace is, we are also amazed at the change that is going to take place. I am not what I will be. You are not what you will be. But today, you are a child of God if you've received Christ. If you haven't, I guess I would have to ask is why? Why haven't you? Why wouldn't you? It's all what God has done for you. And he loves you. But he doesn't force you. You see, every one of us has the choice. Foreknowledge is a characteristic, not an act of God. Sometimes we wonder if God really knows what's going on. The Cullen Diamond teaches us more lessons. The fact that what's on the outside doesn't always look like what's on the inside. Don't be discouraged today. Don't think that there's no hope. God will not leave you where you are. And you have a wonderful future that is yet to come. And today, as you go out, my whole goal is that you would leave today encouraged, confident, excited about what's yet to come, even though you're not so happy about where you are at this moment, and recognizing that God is working in you. And most of the struggles that we have begin by forgetting what we are. Beloved, now are we the sons of God.